Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for that time of worship. It's good to see you all. Uh, I do have one announcement to make. Uh, it's in your bulletin, but just in case you're not familiar with it, uh, there's an announcement there that talks about a college scholarship. Uh, every year we give out uh, a college scholarship. It's called the One Another College Scholarship. And uh, it's to someone who is going to college, whatever college it might be, um, in the fall. And uh, we determine who gets that scholarship based on your nominations and your suggestions. So if you want to nominate somebody that you think uh, lives out the one another teachings, that's kind of the idea of it. Somebody that you've observed uh, in our church family that lives out those teachings. Uh, pick up one of those forms on the welcome table and uh, fill it out and turn it back in. And uh, we will consider giving a scholarship uh, to that person. So if you have a name in mind, pick up one. I think August 1st is the deadline. So uh, if you want to nominate somebody, you might want to do that quickly. Uh, right now, you'll want to turn in your Bibles to Second Timothy. If you have your Bible with you, that's always a good idea. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 in the New Testament. And it might be good to have a study sheet if there's one nearby uh, to follow along. This week, uh, someone mentioned to me that in their home, this phrase, but God, has been heard quite often this summer. And so apparently this uh, series is uh, having an impact. We're looking at different scriptures that have that phrase, but God, and uh, talking about what's taught there. Um, and I don't know what form that's taking in, in homes that are using that phrase, but God. Uh, maybe, maybe someone says something, makes a statement, and uh, another person in the family says, but God says... Maybe that's the form it's taking. Um, maybe someone, when they come home, talks about what a hard day they had at work. In fact, what a bad day it was at work. And then they say, but God did. And they'll share with the family uh, something that God did to improve that bad day or help them through that bad day. Um, or maybe somebody in the family is actually carrying on a really good conversation in the family. That happens once in a while. Um, and says something that communicates some doubts about their faith. And another person in the family might say, but God is. And then we'll remind that person of some truth about God. Um, the use of that phrase, but God, can fit into a lot of contexts, a lot of situations. And it can often change everything about the situation when we use that phrase, but God. And it's frequently used in Scripture, and that's what we're doing in this series this summer. Each Sunday, we're looking at a different place where that phrase appears. And it's no different today. Uh, it appears in Second Timothy chapter 4, and so we're going to look at that. Uh, today's but God principle is really 
an important one, as they all are. But this is the kind of but God principle that you'll want to remember and you'll want to use often um, as you live each day. So we're going to look at that. Let's pray first. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that what you do, what you say, who you are, always makes a great difference in every situation. And I thank you, Father, for these words, but God, that bring us back to who you are, what you do, and what you say. I pray, Father, that you would teach us today, remind us of these important truths. And, uh, Father, maybe you're preparing us for something this week. And I pray that if you are, we would listen up and that we'd be ready to use this but God principle uh, as we live out this week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Timothy, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at verses 6 through 18. Uh, let me read it first. You follow along uh, or listen. Second Timothy 4 starting in verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come... Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord... But God stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as you can see, this would be the, the wrapping up of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, Timothy, who was a pastor in the church at a city called Ephesus. He's been uh, writing this letter, which is the second one he wrote to Timothy, and now he's wrapping it up. And what we're looking at today is just some of his thoughts uh, as he wraps up uh, this letter. The first thing we notice here is his situation. We want to 
see the situation so that what we see later, especially the but God principle, um, becomes clear to us and how it fits in here. So if you just follow along on your sheet, it's all there for you. And I'll just take you through this and make some, some comments. First of all, you need to know that Paul at this point is a prisoner in Rome. Now, you didn't hear any of that in what I read. But in the first chapter, as this letter begins, we learn that, that Paul is indeed a prisoner in the city of Rome. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. So he brings up being a prisoner. He brings up suffering for the gospel. Verse 11. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Again, he he brings up the idea that he's suffering. Then verse 16. He says, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, whatever, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So he brings up the idea of his chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me till he found me. So you put those together, and we realize that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from Rome. He's a prisoner. He's in chains, and he's suffering that situation. So when we come to chapter 4 and our texts, we can start out describing Paul's situation as being in prison. He's in prison, in chains. And this is actually his, his final imprisonment. He's been in prison before. He's been in jail before. This is his final one. Uh, we know that he will be executed eventually. Um, and it seems like he's anticipating that. He's anticipating this is it. And uh, he makes comments pointing to that here in Second Timothy. Notice uh, where our text started in verse 6. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Doesn't that sound like he knows what's going to happen? That this may be the end. That uh, he's close to death. So he's anticipating that. Uh, his time is near for departing. And right from that, he talks about reward that he anticipates when he's with the Lord. So he, he's anticipating death. He's in the prison, in chains, anticipating that it won't be long before he dies. We also find out that in this situation, he's been deserted. He's been deserted by a, a man named Demas, who was his friend. Uh, he says in Verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh, In the book of Colossians, we find out that Demas was a fellow worker of Paul's. So they must have been friends. He was a fellow Christian who, who was with Paul at times, fellow worker, he calls him. And yet, according to this, 
as Paul is sitting there in a Roman prison, this friend Demas, this fellow worker, because he loved the world, whatever form that took, but because he loved the world, had deserted Paul. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the feeling of betrayal? Can you imagine the feeling of abandonment? When your fellow worker, your fellow Christian, deserts you and leaves. That was part of his situation, part of his disappointment. And so he's alone. If you notice there, he says, uh, after saying Demas deserted him, he says, this man named Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. One left to stay with him there in Rome, and it's Luke. So he's alone. Uh, Most of his partners and friends have gone elsewhere. And one of them actually deserted him on purpose. And so there's probably some loneliness there in that prison in Rome because of this situation. And then he remembers another man. He remembers a man named Alexander. Verse 14, he says to Timothy, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. And in verse 15, he says to Timothy, you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. So as he's sitting there writing, Paul remembers this man, Alexander. And there are a number of Alexanders in the Bible. Um, It's very possible this Alexander is from Ephesus because he's warning Timothy about him as though Alexander is in Ephesus. And he says he's a metal worker who caused him harm. Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 19, when Paul was in Ephesus, in that city, when people started responding to the gospel, one of the things they did was they began to destroy and put away all these idols that they had been worshiping in their former religion. And guess who was upset about these new Christians destroying all their idols? The metal workers who made the idols. This was affecting their business. All these people turning to Jesus and getting rid of their idols, and they're not going to need them anymore. And in Acts 19, you can read it, the metal workers start a riot and stir up people against Paul. And maybe Alexander, the one he's talking about here, was one of those metal workers, and that in that whole situation caused him great harm. Maybe it was harm physically. Maybe it was harm verbally. Maybe it was harm in other ways. But this Alexander, Paul is remembering, caused him a lot of harm. And so he warns Timothy about this man. Then, as you uh, go on, we find that Paul, when he came to Rome as a prisoner, apparently had the first of at least a couple of hearings. It's almost like our court system, where he had his first appearance before a judge, before someone in authority. And he says here, 
that at my first defense, my first appearance in court, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. So Paul says, I stood before the judge. I had my first appearance and nobody was there for me. No one stood with me. No one came to the hearing with me. They all deserted. So there's Paul's situation as he describes it. First of all, he's a prisoner in Rome. He's anticipating his death. He's thinking about that. It's a good possibility. He's been deserted by a friend, a fellow worker who loved the world. He got caught up in things of the world and just left. And so Paul's having to deal with that. He's alone except for one person, Luke. He's been deserted by everybody else. And he's sitting there remembering the harm that this guy Alexander had done toward him. He must be disappointed. He has a lot of reason to be disappointed. I would be. I don't know about you. Uh, and how that situation has played out. Most of us can relate to Paul. Probably not in the prisoner part, although maybe there is someone here who can relate to that part. But I think most of us can relate to him. Most of us can relate to actually thinking about our death. You ever been in a situation where you actually found yourself thinking this could be it? Maybe I'm not going to make it. And, and you find yourself actually thinking about death. Um, I know what that's like. Uh, in my case, it was before a surgery, a very serious surgery. Uh, and there was all this talk about blood clots and telling me what would happen, uh, possibly, uh, if it wasn't... Uh, taken care of carefully. And I remember spending an entire night not sleeping, thinking about what if this is it? What if something happens? And I would guess most of us somewhere in our past have had thoughts that we've entertained about death. Could this be it? So most of us can relate to Paul as he sits there anticipating death, thinking about it what it's going to be like. Most of us, unfortunately, can probably think about a situation that we can relate to where a fellow Christian has deserted us. Someone that we had a relationship with, someone maybe we even served with, and for whatever reason, they fell in love with the world. And they got caught up in things that caused them to just walk away from us. I would guess most of us somewhere have had something like that happen. And we know what that feels like to be deserted by a fellow Christian. Most of us know what it feels like to be alone. To be in a situation that's difficult and there's nobody there. We're alone. Most of us know what it's like to be harmed by somebody. Maybe physically. Physically. 
maybe verbally, maybe something having to do with our reputation, spreading lies about us. But most of us know what it's like to be harmed by somebody. And I would guess most of us know what it's like to go through a situation and there's nobody there with us, nobody willing to stand with us and have to go through it alone. We know what it's like to feel not supported. Right? Most of us know some of those feelings. So we can relate to Paul in his situation and the disappointments. Here's the neat thing. In the midst of Paul's situation and all that disappointment, we have the but God principle. Let's look at that. It comes when he's talking about his first court appearance. In verse 16, he says that my first defense, that first appearance before the judge, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Look at verse 17. But the Lord, but God stood at my side and gave me strength. There's the but God. It changes everything. There I was before the judge, before the court, and no one stood by me. No one was there. They all deserted me. But God was there. God was there. And he gave me strength. That's an important but God, isn't it? Because it talks about the presence of God. And it talks about the strength God gives his people. And Paul could be confident in his situation because he believed in God's presence. He believed that God gives his people strength. He believed what the Bible teaches about God. Remember Jesus before he left said, Lo, I am with you always. I will always be with you. His presence. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Lord is quoted as saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. His presence. I will never leave you or forsake you. In Psalm 46, the psalmist says that God is our refuge and our strength. A very what? Present help in the time of trouble. Present help. He's present in the time of trouble. And if you're familiar with the story of the Old Testament Joseph, uh, Genesis 37 and on, uh, you might remember all the troubles that Joseph went through. And in that passage in Genesis, four different times it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Nobody else. He was off in Egypt. Egypt. 
But it says over and over, and the Lord was with Joseph. And that's what Paul is saying here. Everybody deserted me, but God stood at my side. His presence, he was there. I wasn't alone. And then he says, and God gave me strength. Paul strongly believed and was confident that God had strengthened him through all this, in this situation. And the Bible talks about that. We just sang a verse that talks about that from Psalm 73, uh, verse 26, where the psalmist talks about God strengthening. And in Psalm 73, 26, he says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, there's another but God, but God is the strength of my heart. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He gives me strength. Paul had said uh, in another letter in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In his letter to the, sec- to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, he says, when I'm weak, that I'm strong. Paul believed that God was the source of his strength no matter what he was going through. And that God was present no matter what he was going through. That gave Paul confidence, even in this situation in a Roman prison, when everybody deserted him and disappointed him. He believed in the presence and the strength of God in those situations. Many of us can relate to that. Right? Many of us have experienced God's presence. We know what that feels like when no one else is there. When we don't feel supported. When we've been deserted. When we've been disappointed. We know what it's like to still strongly feel the presence of God with us. And we know what it's like to experience strength that can only come from Him, right? I would guess if I gave you a moment, you could pick one time, of many probably, where the only reason you made it through something was the strength God provided, right? He was there, present, and He gave you strength that you couldn't produce on your own. Many of us can relate to Paul. Did you notice I changed the words? When we talked about Paul's situation and his disappointments, I said most of us can relate. Almost all of us. But when it comes to believing and experiencing the truth of God's presence and his ability to strengthen us, It's not most of us. It's many of us. Because it's only those who belong to him who can experience his presence in that way and experience the strength that only he can give. That's his promise to his people, those who have a relationship with him, who know him. So most people can 
you know, relate to all those terrible experiences Paul was in, many of us can relate to God's presence and his strength that he gives us in those situations. There's one more thing I see in the scripture, and, and Paul verbalizes it. You see, it, it, it's one thing to go through this experience. It's one thing to, to experience God's presence in it and his strength. But it's another to then go ahead and practice what you believe concerning the presence and strength God provides. You can believe it. But practicing is different. And Paul practiced the presence and the strength that God provided. Let me, let me show you what I mean. And you can follow along on your sheet if you don't have a Bible. Uh, Paul had put his confidence and his belief in the presence of God, no matter what was happening around him, no matter what people had done. And he strongly believed in the presence and the strength of God. But notice how he puts that into action, even in his situation. First of all, he's still ministering. He's still ministering. You see that a couple times here. Uh, in verse 11, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. This guy is sitting in chains in a Roman prison. He's been deserted by most of his friends. He's alone. And he's thinking about his ministry and says, bring Mark. He can help me in my ministry. And then you look at uh, what he says after that but God statement in verse 17. He says, but God stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. He's still talking about proclaiming the gospel. He's still talking about letting these Gentiles, whether it's his, his Roman guards or whoever it is, letting them know about Jesus. He's still thinking about ministry. He's going to finish well. He's not going to let his situation and all this disappointment stop him. He's going to keep ministering. He realizes he needs the scriptures. Kind of an interesting comment he makes. In verse 13, he says, when you come, bring the cloak. I'm sure it's kind of cool in a prison. So he says, bring my cloak, the one I left the Troas, and bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Now, we don't know exactly what that is, but I'm going to guess that somewhere in there, he's talking about scriptures. Maybe it's his copy of some of the Old Testament scriptures. I don't know. But I'm personally pretty sure that somewhere in those scrolls or parchments, there is scripture. And it's like Paul is saying, I need that. With what I'm going through, I need my copies of the scripture. I need the scripture. I'm sure he remembered a lot of it, but it's almost like he needed it. He needed it. 
he goes on and we find out that he's resisting vengeance. Did you catch that here? He's resisting vengeance. When he talks about Alexander, the metal worker who had harmed him, he says, Alexander, the metal worker, verse 14, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Paul isn't sitting there planning some kind of vengeance on Alexander for how he harmed him. He says, the Lord will repay him. And it's a good thing Paul is practicing that in his situation because he had taught the Romans to not return evil for evil. You remember that? In Romans 12, he had taught the Romans that they shouldn't seek vengeance because vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. So now Paul gets to practice that as he's remembering all the harm that this metal worker Alexander had done. He's practicing this there in prison. We also find out he's forgiving. Where do we see that? Verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to support me. Everyone deserted me. And look what he says. May it not be held against them. Nobody was there to support me. They all deserted me. May it not be held against him. Do you remember anybody else that said similar words? Jesus on the cross, right? Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Stephen, as he's being stoned to death. Same words. In fact, in Colossians and Ephesians, Paul taught people to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And now he gets to practice it. Now he gets to practice what he taught. Concerning all these who deserted him and didn't support him. And then verse 18. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. That's an interesting statement. Notice, he's not saying the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and get me out of prison so that I can go on with my ministry. It's not what he's saying. How will the Lord rescue him from every evil attack? Bring him to heaven. The great rescue, right? He held on to the hope that he had taught to others. The hope of heaven. The hope of being with the Lord. He taught that. Now he gets to practice it. God is going to rescue me from evil attacks. And he'll bring me into his presence. And then finally... He ends this passage with, to him, the Lord, be glory forever and ever. He's in prison. He's in chains. 
He's anticipating death, which will happen. He's been deserted by a fellow worker and friend. He's alone. He has time to think and remember about people who have harmed him in the past. He's been unsupported. He he had nobody with him. Nobody stood with him before the judge. They all deserted him. And yet he says, to God be the glory. He's still giving glory to God. So you put all that together. Here's Paul's attitudes and actions in this situation because he believes in the presence and the strength that God gives. He's still ministering. Doesn't shut that down. He still feels a need for the Scriptures. He's resisting vengeance. He's forgiving. He's holding to the hope of heaven. And he's giving glory to God. Now, fewer of us can relate to that. Right? Most of us can relate to the situation and kinds of situations that are similar. Most of us can relate to them. Many of us can relate, those of us who know the Lord, to what it's like to experience the presence of God in difficult situations and for Him to give us strength. We believe in the presence of God and that He can give strength. Fewer of us can relate to actually practicing that in our attitudes and our actions in those difficult situations. How many of us, when we're in a difficult situation, even if we believe in the presence and the strength of God that he provides, we shut down our ministry. We stop. Because of what we're going through, we can't serve. I can't minister. And like we learned in Sunday school today, we hang our instruments on the tree. And we refuse to sing. Or we refuse to serve. Or we refuse to continue in our ministry. Because we are going through a bad time. We believe in the presence of God. We believe that He gives the strength to get through anything. But we're going to stop ministering because of what's happening. We shut the book. And the scriptures that we need so badly as we go through this difficult time, they stay on the shelf. We start thinking about vengeance. We start thinking about what people have done to us. How they've deserted us. How they've wronged us. How they've harmed us. How they weren't there when we needed them. And we start figuring out ways to get even. And we let those thoughts control us. Even though we believe in the presence of God and the strength He gives to get through anything. And because of that, of course, we're not going to forgive. 
We're not going to forgive those who have deserted us. We're not going to forgive those who have been non-supportive. We're not going to forgive people who harmed us. We become bitter. Even though we believe in the presence of God and the strength he gives to help us through things. And we even let go of this hope, this beautiful hope that we have as Christians. We just let it go. We don't hold on to it. And we don't even think about giving glory to God. We're too busy with the vengeance thinking. We're too busy with the bitterness. And so we don't give glory to God. Few of us can relate to that. But Paul's attitudes and his actions, they proved he really did believe in the presence and the provision of strength from God, no matter what was happening. So, finally, let's go to the but God principle. We usually start with it. We're going to end with it. It's on the top of your sheet. Here is how I would word the but God principle that comes out of Paul's experience. Living in this world will bring experiences of injustice, loneliness, desertion, lack of support, betrayal, and even harm. But God is present with his people through it all giving the strength to face these experiences with the attitudes and actions that honor him. Let me read it again. The but God principle from this text. Living in the world will bring experiences of injustice, loneliness, desertion, lack of support, betrayal, and even harm. But God is present with his people through it all, giving the strength to face these experiences with the attitudes and actions that honor him, bring him glory. What are you going through right now? What's happening in your life that's hard? Do you believe in the presence of God? That he's there, standing by you, whether people are or not? Do you believe in the presence of God? Do you believe that he will give you, he can give you strength, that only he can give you to walk through this? Do you believe those things? If you do, are you practicing them? Are your attitudes and actions the kind that are going to give God honor and glory no matter what this situation is like and no matter what happens. We need Christians like the Apostle Paul today badly who will stop thinking like victims and start thinking like people who believe in the presence of God and the strength he provides. And based on that belief, 
will have the attitudes and actions through whatever they're experiencing that will bring honor to God. Because there is such a fine, clear line today between people who honor God with their actions and attitudes through the trials and people who don't. We need to be God's people and show that there is a way to walk through the difficulties that are going to come because we live in this world, but who can walk through them differently because we believe in a God who is present with us and who will give us the strength to walk through it. We need to honor God and bring Him glory even in these difficult times. May we practice this but God principle. And may you speak that phrase but God this week. Because I think he's preparing somebody. He knows something that's going to go on. And we're going to need to practice this principle for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the difference that you make in situations like Paul was in. The difference you make in situations that maybe someone is going through right now. The difference you make in situations that are going to come up this week or in the future for us. Because we live in this world. We will face injustice. We will be deserted. We'll be betrayed, abandoned. People won't support us. Maybe they'll even harm us. But God, (laughs) we believe in your presence and we believe in the strength you provide. May we practice that belief in our attitudes and actions as we go through whatever comes our way. And may we practice those attitudes and actions, Lord for your glory, to honor you, to show that you make a difference in a life. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.